On behalf of Indiana Wesleyan University, it is my privilege to introduce Dr. Ravi Zacharias as the 14th individual inducted into the Society of World Changers. The women and men identified as IW World Changers have left an indelible mark on our society and our Christian heritage. Dr. Zacharias delivered his first sermon at the ripe old age of 19. During Bible college, he left the love of his life to spend an entire summer preaching in the war-torn country of Vietnam. As a young father, he took his wife and firstborn daughter literally around the world, preaching 576 times in 11 months as an evangelist for the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. Dr. Zacharias received his Master of Divinity from Trinity International University in Deerfield, Illinois. He held the Chair of Evangelism and Contemporary Thought at Alliance Theological Seminary for three and a half years. He's been a visiting scholar at Ridley Hall, Cambridge University, where he studied moralist philosophers and literature of the Romantic era. He's been honored with the conferring of six doctoral degrees, including a Doctor of Laws and a Doctor of Sacred Theology. Dr. Zacharias is founder and president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. He's spoken all over the world for 43 years in scores of universities, notably Harvard, Dartmouth, Johns Hopkins, and Cambridge. Closer to home, he spoke to a crowd of 7,000 students at the University of Kentucky just last month. He has addressed writers of the Peace Accord in South Africa and military officers at the Lenin Military Academy and the Center for Geopolitical Strategy in Moscow. At the invitation of the President of Nigeria, he addressed delegates at the first annual prayer breakfast for African leaders held in Mozambique. Dr. Zacharias has authored or edited well over 20 books, including the gold medallion winner, Can Man Live Without God? Walking East from West, The Grand Weaver, Has Christianity Failed You and Why Jesus? Several of his books have been translated into other languages, including Russian, Chinese, Korean, Thai, and Spanish. Dr. Zacharias has appeared on CNN, Fox, and other international broadcasts. His weekly radio program, Let My People Think, airs on over 2,000 outlets worldwide, along with his weekday program, Just Thinking, and his one minute, Just a Thought. Dr. Zacharias has direct contact with key leaders, senators, congresspeople, and governors who consult him on an ongoing basis. He's addressed the Florida legislature and the governor's prayer breakfast in Texas and Louisiana. He's spoken twice at the annual prayer breakfast at the United Nations in New York, which marks the beginning of the UN General Assembly each year. As the 2008 honorary chairman of the National Day of Prayer, he gave addresses at the White House, the Pentagon, and the Cannon House. He's had the privilege of addressing the National Prayer Breakfasts in the seat of government in Ottawa, Canada, and London, England, and to speak for the CIA in Washington, D.C. And so, it may come as a surprise to learn that Dr. Zacharias grew up in a humble home in India amongst a good family, but not a family who were believers or active believers in Jesus Christ during his early years. He struggled immensely to find meaning in life. As a teenager, his most profound question, why live, was finally answered when he heard the truth of the gospel and became a believer in Jesus Christ. 
Still, he struggled to figure out what he was to do in life vocationally. He studied hotel management, honed his skills as a chef. Love to have you cook for us someday, sir. <laughs> and dreamt of opening a restaurant. Steadily through time, the Lord revealed that he had a very different set of plans for Dr. Zacharias's life. The encouragement of missionaries in India, Dr. Zacharias began preaching at a young age. His preaching gifts grew alongside his culinary pursuits until it became evident that the Lord was calling him to preach the gospel to the nations, to go to dangerous places, intimidating places, faraway places, and uncomfortable places, to defend truth and share the good news of Jesus Christ. By answering God's call, Dr. Zacharias has been obediently changing the world for Christ for decades. We're deeply honored to have Dr. Ravi Zacharias with us today. Friends, colleagues, students, please join me in welcoming Dr. Ravi Zacharias. Dr. Zacharias, your presence with us is an honor to us. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy travel schedule, uh, preaching the gospel still all around the world to spend a few minutes with us. We really appreciate it. I uh, really enjoyed reading your autobiography, Walking uh, from East to West. Uh, it was an excellent book. In, in the book, you describe uh, a struggle you had in your early days with a sense of intellectual inferiority. Among uh, some of your brilliant friends, you felt like you didn't measure up, uh, you didn't belong. Yet God has obviously used you to speak to some of the most brilliant crowds of people imaginable. You have debated with some of the most intelligent philosophers of our day. So obviously, something had to happen in you for you to overcome that sense of intellectual inferiority. So, so what did God do to fix you, to, to change you, so that you were able to say yes to the opportunities God was giving you, especially when those opportunities seemed just too big for you? Thank you, Dr. Lachetti, and what an honor to be here. It's really my privilege, and Dr. Wright and Dr. Shepard, what an honor to receive this honor. I would rather receive these posthumously, where I don't, <laughs> where I don't have to blush in front of an audience, although you may not be able to see it. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether that struggle ever really has left me, sir. Uh, but what I think overcame that struggle is the confidence in the truth of God's word. And when God changes your own heart and takes your mind and brings to you the coherence of his word with all of the corresponding truth that is needed, these are the two realities with which we struggle. I marvel at the fact that Pilate asked the most important question a human being could have asked and never waited for the answer when he looked at Jesus and said to him, what is truth, and walked away. Truth is the most valuable thing in the world. It's the most powerful weapon in the world. And when the truth of Jesus Christ transformed my life, not only in what I did, but in what I wanted to do, I didn't need the, didn't need the confidence in myself anymore. I needed the confidence in God's word. As Calvin would have said, you know, God's eyes like a lion, just let him out of the cage, he'll defend himself. Hmm. And so you take the truth and present that coherent defense. And one thing you do know, that in the audience, there are men and women just like yourself who are struggling for meaning 
purpose and the truth. And when that truth overpowers them and overcomes their lives, uh, it changes everything. So far from really being a world changer, as wonderful as it may seem, the thrill is that God changes your own heart. And that's the message you take to change the world. And so it's my honor to be here and uh, doing that hopefully till the last breath in my body. Wow, thank you. Thanks for that. You mentioned truth. Uh, one of the most remarkable qualities in Jesus, I think, is his ability to embody grace and truth uh, without compromising either. Uh, John 1.14 reads, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus could sort of slap people in the face with truth, but they felt hugged by grace. And you have that same quality, I think, in your speaking and writing. You can slap us with truth, but we feel hugged by grace. You give us truth in a winsome way. How do you think the church today is uh, hitting or missing the mark when it comes to embodying grace and truth? And, and what do you think we can do to sort of better navigate the complexities of living with grace and truth in a way that doesn't compromise either? I think the sad reality is in the world today, I often wonder if truth really matters anymore. I truly question that. I look at a lot of people when they ask their questions and are determined in going in a certain direction. Now in the church, we at least theoretically affirm that truth matters, that truth is important. How then critical it is that we embody it with grace. And I was speaking to an audience recently and telling them when donkeys fight and when horses fight, they fight differently. Uh, when horses fight, they form a circle and face each other and kick against the intruder. When donkeys fight, they form a circle and turn their backs upon each other and look at the intruder, but actually end up kicking each other mm -hmm. to death in the process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I shall leave you to make your own deductions <laughs> in, in the political arena. But the gospel message is so unique. There is no other worldview. I repeat, no other worldview. Take all of pantheism. Take any of the uh, other alternative monotheistic worldviews. The Judeo-Christian worldview is the only worldview that is undergirded by grace. Uh, the prodigal son returns. In an Eastern setting, the father would never have left the home to go and get him back halfway through. He would have waited till the boy just came and fell prostrate with umpteen uh, kinds of uh, expressions of ceremony or whatever. But the dad gathers up his garments and runs out of the home. That is the surprising part of the prodigal son's story. But the Eastern dad is so proud and pompous in the process, he's not going to in any way show himself to be weak. God in his mercy sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verb of gave and giving. And he gives us the grace to receive him the grace to offer forgiveness and the grace to strengthen us in walking with him. It is unique. It is absolutely unique. Truth is critical, but ungirded by grace, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth itself can become repulsive if grace is not the undergirding element of it all. So I just think that's a beautiful combination of truth and relevance. Wow. Great, thank you for that. Uh, young adults, college students, there are about 3,000 here. Uh, even at a 
Christian university often struggle to uh, make sense of the church, to find the good in the church. Many sometimes want Jesus, but not the church. As a college student many years ago, I struggled with the same thing, but I, I stuck it out with the church because pastoral ministry was my major, and I had student loans to pay. <laughs> uh, you know, the church, the church gets a bad rap, uh, sometimes deserved, often undeserved. You have traveled around the world literally probably multiple times. You have, you're traveling around the world when you leave here. Um, you've seen the global church up close and personal. Mm. I want to give you a few minutes to just brag on the church. What, what gems have you seen in the church that make you love her more? You know, the, when you watch the news, the news specializes in drama. The news specializes in bad news. Uh, good news doesn't often get repeated. You only hear of all of the knifings and the killings and the woundings and the struggles. Very seldom do you hear of a father who comes home one day and gives up an awful lot of other things just to hold his son in his arms. Just like recently a ball player gives up what that $15 million pay package or something because he needs to spend that time with his son. When that news broke, it caught them all by surprise. But even at that, the focus on the fact that he's given up $15 million, you see, rather than the fact that he's really wanting to be with his son. And I think the church across history with all of our warts and all of our weaknesses, uh, it's been there. It's been there for people when they are wounded, when there's a funeral that's needed, when a child is hurting. How many a pastor doesn't have dinner three or four nights a week with his family at great cost because at last moment somebody has contacted the pastor to come and minister to them? How many thousands of miles have been traversed because the church has sent missionaries? Think of the changes that have taken place in the world because of the generosity of the church of Jesus Christ. Places where people have water, where people have schooling, where people have hospitals. And when I see this impact, even Matthew Paris, who is a radical left-wing anti-theistic thinker, some years ago in the Times in London said, I constantly find myself schizophrenic in my thinking because when I go to places like Africa and others, I see that it is not merely the church, but the church that believed in the evangelistic message and the transformation of the heart that has made a difference. And he said, that's what is needed, the evangel. He said, I find myself as an atheist saying this and I don't know how to justify it. But when you go to some place and see the work the church has done, it has been defining for the future. The only one caution and caveat I would give, it is critical that the church answer the questions of our time. If we don't, we will always be playing catch up and lose a whole generation. There are extraordinary real questions out there being asked by the young and we throw them into the academic world unprepared. We must do a better job with that. And that is a challenge for all of us. And the academies like this make a big difference in preparing those for the ministry to deal with the tough questions that are real. Yes, thank you. Yeah. You uh, describe a time in your autobiography when you uh, hit an all-time low. Um, shame and insecurity were all over you. And at the time, you thought that ending your life might be easier than living your life. You, you attempted suicide and we're so, so glad you failed. 
I know you are as well. Uh, even in a Christian community like this one, there are many of us who are struggling with the pain and the shame of our past in ways that are prohibitive. And so uh, give us some hope. How, how was God at work in the shadows, to use your term, to, uh, of your shame and struggle to sort of redeem you, lift you out of the pit that you found yourself in? Go ahead and brag on God for a little bit. Well, thank you for asking that question, Dr. Lucchetti, as much as it's the most uncomfortable question I ever deal with because nobody likes to dig up the past. But just two weeks ago, I was in Delhi and with my sister who lives in St. Catharines, Ontario, and this is the first time in four decades she's been back. And she asked me if I would take her to the home where we were raised. I have two brothers and two sisters, and so this is one of my sisters and her daughter. She became a high school principal in the latter part of her career, and we stood at our, in, the, in our back garden in Delhi. The people there now know me because every time I take friends, they probably say, oh, oh, here he comes again. <laughs> I bring all of them and uh, I show them two or three things. I show them the bathroom from the back door. I never take them in because I don't want to intrude upon the people, although they've welcomed us in, given us tea and all of that, where I tried to take my life. I was 17. See, the loss of meaning is a very impeding problem to carry in your life because if you have meaning and purpose you can carry the wounds you can look to a destination point you can find the strength to undergird you or the motivation to keep going because there's a supervening purpose that overarches everything else or an undergirding is strength that takes you and at the age of 17 when i was not performing not working not studying wanted to play cricket for india which was hardly a noble goal in life at that time. And my dad was highly successful. He just looked at me one day and said, you're gonna be an embarrassment to the family. And in my culture, shame is a deadly thing. You always cover shame. So there I was, try to poison myself, take my life, and humiliating as it was, not only had I not learned how to live, I didn't even know how to die. You know, halfway <laughs> failed in that. And. Uh, the servant in the house took me to the hospital, long story. But there's another thing I show my friends when I take them there, and I showed my sister, she was clicking the camera away. I said, these two mango trees in our back garden, we left India in 1965, so that's 41 years ago, okay? 51 years ago. And uh, I planted a seed for a mango that I'd eaten. And coming back from college, I'd seen a little sapling of a mango plant. I dug it up with my hands and planted them just enough apart so that they could both thrive. The owner of that home in Delhi today is the chief of the internal revenue in India. And he sends me pictures now of the bushels of mangoes they reap every year. One from a seed and one mm. from a sapling. Friends, I'm not a gardener. I don't have a green thumb. I can only take pictures of flowers <laughs> and trees. But to think that God used a young guy to just think of taking the seed from the mango, mango is one of my favorite fruits, and this sapling, that's what God does in our life, you know. He will take that seed, take that little sapling, and he can bring something out of it you never dreamed of. My sister stood there with tears in her eyes, you know, and she said, Never did I dream the plans God had for us. And she said, Ravi, and for you.
She said, I don't know what it was that dad had against you in your younger days, but he took it out. Who took his anger out on you? But your heavenly father had a different vision and a different goal for your life. So those of you today who are hiding wounds and hiding scars and struggling, God may surprise you and may do something extraordinary out of you. You will never merit it, but you will always look back and know it had very little to do with you and everything to do with his grace. And it is your privilege to carry that light wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you. You were a college student once, just a couple years back. You have, uh, have 3,000 college students in front of you. If you could go back and relive your college days, what might you do differently? Thank, uh, thank you so much, Matt. So just say two things. Number one, take your studies very seriously. You know, they say youth is what only the young have and only the old know how to use. Uh, last week, I celebrated my 70th. Yes, Alexander the Great was my classmate. We <laughs> went to school together. Uh, it's hard to believe. But take these years seriously. Even the subjects you don't enjoy, you never know when you're going to need it. It's just like the thing you've kept for years and throw away, and the next week you found out you needed it. You know, just take your studies seriously. Work hard at it. Be grateful for your professors and your teachers because they are the ones really who are going to carry you into the future. So don't think of this as something of a preparation. This is your service. You are not preparing to serve God. You're serving God in what you are doing right now. I wish I could have taken some of my earlier courses more seriously. I've needed them. Number two, and this is very important. I want you to listen to me carefully. What is wrong in our world today? Many answers can be given. But one of the answers I want to say to you is our basic ideas of education are flawed, especially in North America. Let me illustrate this for you. Malcolm Muggeridge said he saw the hell of thermonuclear destruction in the future of 20th century man or 21st century man. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1964 receiving the Nobel Prize for peace, ended his talk by saying, I believe unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. I believe unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. Now, here's what I want to say to you. A majority of our academic institutions, Ivy Leagues and all included, the supreme discipline for them is the sciences, the pure sciences. Naturalism is the undergirding worldview. I don't diminish its value. They are of Vital importance, the pure sciences. But here's my question. What of the pure sciences gives us the imperatives of unarmed truth and unconditional love? Those do not come from the sciences. There has to be the metaphysical side of life. There has to be the philosophical side of life. And more importantly, the deeply spiritual side of life. If Dr. King's dream was real of unarmed truth and unconditional love, then our assumptions fundamentally in our educational system in the secular world are flawed. They are not preparing the soul for the future. They are not preparing the ideas of truth, love, and grace, and so on. If we just pile up capacity without the undergirding character, our, our capacity to destroy will be inversely proportional to our capacity to use wisdom in the process. So I say to you, in a school like this, 
where you're given the undergirding spiritual values and the soul is taken care of and goodness and decency and dignity are upheld. Remember you're created in the image of God and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Those two imperatives are the greatest commandments on which hang all of the laws and the prophets. Embrace those truths, embody those truths, and thank God for a place that you can study, which gives you the balance of all of the disciplines. Ultimately, it used to be that theology was the queen of the disciplines. When theology got displaced, religion replaced it, and religion actually ends up with self-deification. Theology is the revelation of God to us. We form all kinds of worldviews. Submit your, thoughts, uh, your heart and your thoughts to him. Bend the knee to him and pray that God will continue to have institutions like this because upon this, the future can legitimately build and it takes just one reformer to change the world and that may well come out of this audience. Thank you for having me and God Thank bless you. you. Thank you.